the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Weight of Glory, Part 2. That's coming up today on Abounding Grace as we take a look at God's response to Job and virtually everyone who has questions about catastrophes and disasters. Again, greetings in Christ, and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner returns us to Job chapters 38 and 39 today in a message called The Weight of Glory, Part 2. We're looking at God's response to Job. Now, here's the key thing that we're learning. In the midst of this catastrophe and calamity and disaster that comes into Job's life, and with all of the questions Job has... God never once answers Job, but he does have an answer. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Remember that God revealed his glory to us in chapter 38 in the heavens and in all the deep places. And we saw from that that his greatness is unsearchable. And as Job himself confessed earlier, These are actually just the outskirts of his ways, just the shadows. And since we are too puny to take that in, he tells us to take out our coloring books, per se. And he says, I want you to draw a picture of a peacock now, boys and girls. I want you to draw a picture of a wild ox. I want you to draw a picture of a hawk. Because I realize my glory is too great in the heavens and in the deep places. So I want you to look at the animals and how I treat them and govern their lives. He brings us back literally down to earth. And I want to show you how often the Lord does this with one example. Look at Psalm 36. This is a frequent approach the Lord takes in dealing with us in our weaknesses. And I believe it's very important for us to recognize this. Psalm 36, verse 5. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches under the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. Faithfulness in the clouds, righteousness in the great mountains, judgments are a great deep. These things are too high for us. So the psalmist then comes down and he says, you preserve man and beast. To bring us down to where we will learn our lessons as we should. The Lord is here condescending to us in our weaknesses. And he does with Job as well. 
We are often senseless, unable to comprehend God's glory and the higher things of his mercy and of his government and of the universe. So he says, I want you to think about the animals and the birds and how I treat them so that you will be ravished by my glory. Now remember, he has made us a, only a little lower than the angels, but we are still very earthbound in our perspective and in our understanding. So by telling us a little of his glory in the lower things, he is humbling us and saying, you really, really, Need to go back and get out your ABCs and your coloring books and your building blocks. Because I have revealed my glory everywhere. But you don't see. Because very often we put our hands over our eyes or even gouge them out in an extreme. So the Lord says, listen, when you see my goodness to the animals... And you see the care I take of them. I want you to trust that I will take care of you. If I take care of birds and beasts, I will certainly stand guard over you. By the way, if you think this is stretching reality, look over at Matthew 6 in our Lord's first recorded sermon. And this is the same sermon in which he teaches us to trust him. Matthew 6 verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. For is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you, not much better than, are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take a thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed as one of these. And now in chapter 38 of Job, verse 39 through chapter 39, verse 12, the Lord asked Job a series of questions about untamable beasts to the wildest of the animals. Most of these animals live unnoticed by men. The world doesn't seem to be con so concerned about them. Basically, the world only wants to look at th those things that, look wealthy or bizarre things or the perverse. So if you think how many men pass through their lives completely unnoticed, and how many more animals are there that live in the wild, and except for a few specialists, are never studied by men's eyes. Yet, God knows every single one of them and feeds every single one. Even the mightiest predators, such as the lions. You know, there are four or five Hebrew words for lion, and two of them are actually used here in our text. The strong lion and the young lion. God asked Job, did you feed them? I do. 
I hunt down their prey for them. It takes a lot of fresh meat to keep one pride of lions sustained. And God says, I hunt for them. I feed them. The mightiest must even wait for God. He says about wild birds, the raven, carnivorous creatures. He says, I provide them their food and their young ones. You know, you see a raven, parents generally neglect their young somewhat. And those young hunger for meat, but God says, I provide for them. Now, I think these two creatures seem a weird juxtaposition, lions and ravens, yet they're both very wild. They live off of meat and they are strong in their kind. And the Lord says, even if the strong wait on me, To provide for them, and I do provide for them, I will certainly provide for you. Mountain goats, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 39, they also live in the wild. It says they bring forth their young, and they are large goats. They're around three feet high, and they're pregnant for six months. That's their gestational period. And then they bring forth their young with tremendous difficulty, usually one at a time. Rarely do they give birth two at a time. And the Lord asked Job, are you the one watching over them? They live in the high mountains. They search for pasture. Do you know what they bring forth? And what about the deer that's also mentioned here? These animals conceive and they give birth by my providential watch and care. Job, where are you? Are you watching over all these? When their young are born, who feeds them, Job? I do. Do we have anything to do with this? No, these animals live in the wild and it seems trivial to us. But it's not trivial to the Lord. And that's the point, that he takes care of everything that he has made. Donkeys, these are those that live in the wild as well. The wilderness is their home, it says. They are rarely seen of men even to this day. They do not bear burdens. They are untamable. And the wild ox, which is referred to in the King James Version actually as a unicorn. And it is probably now an extinct animal. It is not, I believe, some mythical creature. It simply had a single protruding horn coming off of the forehead. It's very different from its domesticated cousin, the ox. But God says, can you bind it? Will it serve you? It serves me. It does exactly what I want it to do. Job, will you trust this animal because its strength is great? Verse 12, will he carry home your crops for you? Job's problem seemed untamable to him. Untamable. Initially, we have seen that Job was very meek before the Lord. I dare say that in the light of the incredible sorrows that he experienced all in that one day, For Job to say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he tells his wife, will we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not also evil? It's very humbling. But times have changed. 
A few days have gone by now, and his pains, his losses, his irritation of his friends, and even more, God's apparent silence had deceived him into thinking, I've got to debate with God. But Job has forgotten a basic lesson from our coloring books, and that is God takes care of all of his creatures. And since he does good to those that live in the wild that men don't even think about or provide for, they do more by instinct than by reason. The Lord asked Job by these questions, Job, am I not taking care of you? Job, do you think you're capable of entering in debate with me or understanding my dealings with you? You don't even know about all the animals, the mountain goats, the lions, and the wild ox. These things are beyond you. Their habits, their habitats, their mating and breathing cycle, breed, birthing cycle. Do you think, Job, that you can tame me and make me fit into a box? You can't even tame these animals. And I think that is some of the line of thought the Lord is giving to a servant here. We see in our day that science is, of course, very much wanting to demystify our world. But really, it doesn't. It doesn't demystify it at all. Understanding processes is not the same as understanding purposes. The divine, invisible hand of God guides and provides for so many creatures. And when we are afraid and we think, this doesn't make sense, and God is not fitting into my box, and why isn't life tamed and tidy and going like I want it to go? We need to remember the lions and the ravens and the wild donkeys and the wild oxen. God is the only one who is in control. His plans are what is taming our reality. Nothing else. So when we are afraid, when we are despairing over our circumstances... When we don't know which way to turn, let's remember, hey, God feeds the lions. God feeds the ravens. God is feeding the wilderness dwellers, all of its creatures. And he has set these before us to teach us to trust him. And just as many creatures are untamable by us, so God is untamable by us. But we think that we are competent to understand his ways or maybe to tame him a little. So what would he have us do? Draw near to him as our father. When we pray, we need to remember. A mark of pious prayer is not a demanding spirit. Lord, I must understand this. You've got to show this to me. You've got to explain it to me. A mark of pious prayer is, Lord, I am nothing. I am your child. You teach me your ways that I may walk in your paths. I don't dare enter into debate with you. I'm going to trust you with my life and with my future. I know to me things look like they're just totally out of control. Things look like they are swirling in our nation, crazy things, ungodly things. But 
these things are not out of control and dangerous as they seem to us. God holds everything, beloved, in His hands. Let me break it down. Every single lion that had a morsel of meat today, God put it into their mouth. Every raven, every wild ox, every wild critter, every stray cat and dog. God put that meat in their mouth. Whatever the means he used to do it, he did it. And since he takes care of them, he most certainly will take care of us, the apple of his eye. God mentions next in verses 13 through 18, two kinds of kind of silly birds that are brought forward to us, the peacock and the ostrich. Now, these have been variously translated and interpreted, but I'm just going to go with what I think fits the reading. So, peacocks. Peacocks, as you know, have ornate and very, very colorful tails. They strut around, they spread their tails with great pride and pomp. The ostrich also, verse 13, flaps its beautiful wings, yet here her wisdom does not match her beauty, it says. She'll actually lay her eggs in the earth and sometimes forget them. Trusting the dirt that's going to warm them. Obviously not a very protective mother. And it says that she lays them without thinking of them being crushed by men or being eaten by wild beasts. In verse 16 it says she seems to be hardened against them as if they were not even hers. Her labors are in vain. She doesn't even think about it. Why? Verse 17. The scientists will explain this based on their rationale. God explains it based on his. And he says, I haven't given her wisdom to take care of her young. Do you want to know why? He says, I'm not going to tell you. You wouldn't understand. But I have deprived her of this wisdom. Now still, verse 18. She can be a doughty foe, as many as an unwary man has learned when receiving a kick from, a swift kick from an ostrich. So what are we to learn about the beautiful glory of these two birds? Well, obviously, God reveals his glory in a diversity of ways. The peacock is beautiful, but it can't fly very far or very high. The ostrich can be fierce, but she doesn't use that strength to protect her young. God has formed each of these birds according to his will. Other birds don't envy the peacock. They're extravagant tails. And we shouldn't envy the gifts of others, their beauty, their possessions, their talents, because God distributes to each according to his own wise counsel. And if we want to look for something maybe a little more particular to Job, because I don't think these questions were chosen by random from God. At one time in his life, Job was a little bit like the beautiful peacock. He was adorned with all goodly things. Now, 
he didn't strut around proudly, but other people looked at him as a great man, and now God has cut off his plumage and put him literally in the dust. The Lord asks, is there not a reason? Job, I am the one who distributes beauty and grace as I please, and maybe Job is being warned here not to be like the foolish ostrich but to remember his former wisdom and stay close to it. Plus, God doesn't forget his children as the ostrich does. And I think that is the main lesson here from the ostrich. He never forgets his children. Let that sink in. It may seem for a time that God has left. And and for Job, that was right now. But he doesn't leave us or forsake us. He promises that. He never leaves us. He tries our faith in trials. He chastens us for our sins. And he teaches us to depend on him. But he will never, never, never leave us. And he will make us beautiful again if it is his will. He will restore us to strength and wisdom in his own time. And if not here. At least it is promised for you in heavenly places. Let this sink in. God loves us. He will not forsake us. He will not be an ostrich mother to us. He guards his chicks as the hen does. And remember what the prophet said? We, we are engraved on his hands and on his priestly heart. And he has made us beautiful in the righteousness of his son. And his purposes will not fail to be realized in our lives. In verses 19 through 25, he mentions the horse. And he asks Job another series of questions. Strong glory. Beautiful glory in the birds. Strong glory in the horse. The strength of the horse, you know, is proverbial. We even still measure horsepower in our automobiles. And who gave the horse his power? The Lord asked Job and closed his neck with thunder. I did. And yet a grasshopper or a rodent running through a stall can send him into a fury, scared to death. In full gallop, There in verse 20, his terrible snorting nostrils, he sucks in air like a jet engine. He paws the ground, verse 21, as if at some level he is aware of his strength and of his nobility and his dignity. And he is especially very fearful. Those of you who have read old accounts when fighting was done on the back of a horse with swords, The horses were considered fearful. You see, armies trained their horses to participate fully against the enemy, biting, kicking, stomping men to death. He is a fearless creature when it comes to battle. He is willing to charge enemy lines, even with spikes raised up against him. He hears the clashing of the sword and the shield, and he does not run away. Verse 24, he crosses huge distances with great swiftness. Older accounts tell of men noting how anxious their horses were to fly, 
forward in the battle. And it was all that they could do to hold their horses back. The horse hears the trumpet blast and the men shouting, verse 25, and he smells blood and sweat and he looks at the enemy and he just laughs. He laughs, ha, let's go at it. He's not afraid. He is formidable in battle. The horse is beyond any other domesticated creature when it comes to war, sometimes more willing to fight than his rider is. Yet this is an animal that can be scared by a rodent or a grasshopper. You know, when we observe horses in the field today, they've normally got their nose down grazing. It seems like they're totally oblivious to anything else but that clump of grass that is right in front of them. And so the strength of the horse is is somewhat hidden to us. And, and it's also made quite silly because men have turned them into circus performers. But God has clothed him in great strength. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.